Neighbor Radio 9.11. It is the week of the game. We are here to talk about the game. It is perhaps the most important football game in the history of football. I would say so. I mean, I'm That's the history kind of- guy, right? And I, I know how many important history games there are. And there have been so many bad, unimportant football games that the game of the century was Michigan State versus Notre Dame in the 20th century, or at least they claimed it. So that's that. That's how many bad games we're up against. Speaking of things that are not bad or unimportant, we'd like to thank Underground Printing for starting this and making it all possible. Stop by and pick up some gear. Check them out at ugpmichiganapparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the mgoblogstore.com. We'd also like to thank our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Matt Demarest, Realtor and Lender, Human Element, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, Winewood Organics, Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning, Signal Wire, where we are recording this, and Tom Brady's new app, Autograph, Rewarding Fans, where you earn rewards for things like reading MGO blog and listening to our podcasts. All right, the Ohio State Buckeyes, 11-0. The Michigan Wolverines, 11-0. Jim Harbaugh suspended for this game. Uh, MGO blog, Malfeasance down. everywhere. <laughs> Insanity. <laughs> Craziness. Narratives that will never die based on the outcome of this game. And we're going to try to put that all away. Let's talk some football. Uh, all so right. We're going to start with the Ohio State offense, which has taken a major step back from seemingly years where they were locked into number one in SP+. They are now 19th. Uh, Kyle McCord is the new quarterback. Their offensive line has taken a step back. But they do have... Amika Igbuka, who might be a first-round pick. Marvin Harrison Jr., who is guaranteed to be the first wide receiver off the board in next year's draft. And a resurgent Travion Henderson. So all of this adds up to a situation where Michigan could be fairly dominant down-to-down. And then it feels like if the dam breaks, it could be just a thundershot touchdown despite the way Michigan plays defense. Alex? Yep, that's the scariest part of this matchup. If you go back to 2021, we were going into that game kind of terrified of the tackling situation because Travion Henderson's one of those guys, you miss one tackle anywhere on the field and it can turn into a 50-yard play. And that's kind of what you're up against. But uh, I will say at the receiver position, you have the two stars in Harrison and Nick Buka, but they don't really have a third wide receiver. Um, That's something just to to jot down. I think that's a point of interest for Michigan in particular, where you have St. Ristil and Will Johnson. We're feeling generally good about, but much more question beyond that. And I think Ohio State has as many questions as well in that regard, where Xavier Johnson is around, but mostly an end-around guy. And then Julian Fleming hasn't really lived up to uh, the hype and his recruiting profile in any real way. So from a matchup standpoint, that's going to be something that I'm interested uh, to watch. The other name there would be Carnell Tate, five-star freshman. I assume he will be an elite player down the line, but he's a true freshman wide receiver and only has 17 catches. So that's kind of where this Ohio State offense is a bit of a departure from that 2021 unit where you had three wide receivers to be terrified of and Travion Henderson. I think you're leaving out Kate Stover here, though. That's uh... Yeah, I mean, Kate Stover is a solid player, but he's a complimentary player, right? He's not going to drive things like he's going to get. He's open also, he's also a tight end. I mean, yeah, he's also, I mean, he's, he's, he's going to 
if he's open, it'll be on play action or because more attention is being paid to other guys. And I don't want to, you know, downplay that, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't feel like a Colson Loveland. He feels like a good tight end, but he's not a guy who's going to bust open the defense over the top. And then it does kind of feel like that's what Ohio State is going to have to rely on because there are two, I think, main issues with their ability to drive the field. One is the fact that their ground game has been hideous for most of the year. (laughs) And they got Henderson back, and then all of a sudden things got better. But you have to consider that the last two weeks, they went up against Minnesota and Michigan State. Right. And Minnesota, the week before they played Ohio State, gave up 358 yards on the ground to Purdue. (laughs) And the week after Michigan State played Ohio State, they gave up 241 yards on the ground to Indiana. So, unfortunately, the game on paper, EPA per play stats I'm working with are unadjusted. And they've surged forward from 104th to 93rd. And it's like, okay, is this Henderson getting healthy? Is this Ohio State figuring themselves out? Or is it the fact that they've played two absolutely awful run defenses? And the it's it's a... I, it's confounding, and I don't mean like I, it's like literally confounding. You know? Well, so I, it's I mean when we watch those games and like you see, you know, a fifty-seven yard run against Minnesota, where Minnesota has Joe Clat uh, actually showed this on his show this morning, where um, they have the right defense, they have they get the, the linebacker to the hole that he needs to be in, and then Henderson puts his foot in the uh, in the ground, and the linebacker just doesn't have the talent to stick with him, falls down, and he runs around him. And like once you do that, once you just account for a guy who was supposed to be in his gap, and then just you know shifts the wrong way and falls down, that's it. That's the difference, and that's why it's so hard to predict. You know whether Michigan could keep these guys to seven points or keep or you know they could score forty seven points because. You know, Rod Moore has had some tackling issues this year. We've seen Michael There's Barrett one. make a couple mis- No, more than one. I've charted more than one. And it's, and there's, it's it's to the point where it's been like, okay, it's not Rod Moore from last year. But on the other hand, he's a much more talented player than Minnesota has. And Junior Colson is a much more talented linebacker than anyone they have. And the, the level of mistakes is not going to be as high, but that's where Ohio State's really been getting it. They just win those one-on-one battles, you know, by by a lot. Well, I mean, the thing about the Michigan defense is they they don't miss tackles. So they have PFF has them for twenty-eight missed tackles on the season. Junior Colson has one, and Mike Barrett has three. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like when I was doing the Minnesota preview, I was looking at these stats, and it was like, oh yeah. All of their linebackers were missing a quarter of the tackles. <laughs> right. So, so degrees. It was, <laughs> I mean, these are the kind of things that can happen because Trayvon Henderson is a very talented running back. But to date, Michigan seems like the kind of defense that is really well positioned to not have that happen. Yeah, I also don't feel like Trayvon Henderson's a guy that's like <laughs> the the risk there is more you whiffing on the tackle and then him punishing you for it, as opposed to him being a guy that is going to like trample a linebacker, right? He's yes, not absolutely. really a power, a power back in that way. So tackling is absolutely important because the consequences are uh, disastrous if, if you don't uh, secure the tackle, but breaking tackles is not his sort of specialty or what his game as a running back is defined by. No, but what he can do is like, 
if you give him the edge, he will outrun a guy. Yeah. And if you give him enough space between the tackles, he can attack half a guy and, and break an ankle tackle. Like he's not going to juke you out of your shoes, but he has the kind of athletic package where if you give him a crack, it's it's you're going to be in, in a difficult spot. Now, the Ohio State offensive line is mid, as the kids say, mm-hmm. and they have a clear issue at center where Carson Hinsman is a cyan on your charting, and I think he's a 40 on pro football focus. Ooh. So that Have we ever had a 40 up. going into this game on any t- on either side? I'm sure we did, but it was on Michigan's team. I don't know. PF- <laughs> PFF was I mean, remember there was some... Well, I guess so. <laughs> right? Like, they started in, like, 2016. 40s going into this game. <laughs> uh, and, of course, that goes up against one of the great strengths of the Michigan defense, which is the fact that they go five deep with quality defensive tackles and have a couple of absolute monsters. And I I mean, I, at this point, I don't know if Jenkins is an absolute monster, but I think Mason Graham obviously is. And then Kenneth Grant has been coming along recently where he's undeniable. Yeah, Hinsman is a player that I think just was pressed into duty too soon. They lost Luke Whipler to the NFL draft after just three years, and I don't think they were planning on that. And so Hinsman gets elevated. And the funny thing is we went into the year thinking the tackles were going to be the biggest problem. And not the tackles have been incredible or anything but certainly the weakness of the line is the center position um that's been the case in pretty much all the uh the games i've seen if you look at his game by game on pff his grades are abysmal basically week after week with no real major variation and so that's something you got to look at michigan with an opportunity uh to really exploit the other players on the line i think are okay fine but uh, not really a lot of star pieces on this line. It's it's a number of guys that are playing to an average, to slightly above average level at times, but not a not a fortress. And if you look back just two years ago, we had a diagram where all five linemen were starred. So <laughs> yeah. definitely not that. Yeah, and so this gets back to the other part about Ohio State trying to drive the field, is that when Kyle McCord gets pressured, he goes off a cliff. And we, we saw this with Drew Aller, right? His completion percentage went from 70% to like 39. That's one thing because Aller's yards per attempt were dropping from 6.7 to 6. So when you're already awful, it's right. not that big of a difference. But McCord has that same completion percentage drop. His yards per attempt goes from 10.3 to 4. Yeah. And, and this, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, and this is not a line that is protecting him particularly well against teams that grade out in the vicinity of Michigan as a pass rush. Go ahead, Seth. I I wanted to get into like Michigan's pass rush, which has been quietly really good this year. And it's, it's hard for even PFF to see it because teams are throw right away. They don't sit in the pocket and let this happen. (laughs) I mean, if you look at Michigan's PFF stats in terms of pass rush, they are crazy. Really? Okay. (laughs) Yes. Like, um, they're almost everybody has like a 15% win rate. Like, except like, I think there's three of the defensive tackles have 10% wins win rates, which are actually very good for a defensive tackle. Yeah. And they're, they're grading more like almost as a 90 as a pass rush guy. Uh, Mason Graham's way up there too. And well, okay. Then, then we agree. Then, then pro football focus agrees with me, which is, which is good because I been seeing McGregor is, getting to the backfield and the ball just gets out of there. And when you talk about it in the context of Ohio State, in the past, 
or, or the way that Ohio State beat teams this year uh, with, with McCord is that, like, if you single them up and he gets pressure, he can just throw it in the direction of a singled wide receiver who's going to be awesome, right? Marvin Harrison, if you interfere with him, he only gets better. But in Michigan's not going to do that, right? The Michigan is going to have a light box, see if they can just, you know, win battles up front. And if they do that, then they have a safety back to, you know, to double up on Harrison. And in those situations, when you've seen McCord get pressure, he doesn't throw a, he doesn't know where to put it. He doesn't know how to, uh, you know, break down the zones, figure out where his leverage is. So they mostly go out of bounds. There's not been, if you remember, like in 2021, we would get CJ Stroud under pressure and he would throw a ball up and one of his receivers would just make a play. That's not been happening with Ohio State this year. They just have not been giving his receivers those opportunities because he doesn't see where he has the leverage to just throw it up and let his receiver go for it. Yeah, so if I went back, and Pro Football Focus doesn't have this as a direct stat you can see for your defense. But what you can do is you can, you can go in game by game and see like, like what the opposing quarterback was doing hmm. and like what the pressure rate was. So Michigan has played a few teams in the general vicinity of OSU's pass blocking grade and pro football focus. Those are Penn State and Maryland and Minnesota. Michigan has played those three teams. Their pressure rate in those three games was 54%, 38%, and 48%. Mm-hmm. That is death yeah. for the Ohio State offense if Michigan is able to replicate that. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a, a good test for the pass rush uh, in, per, you know, in particular. But with McCord, I also want to just point out that he makes a lot more sort of yikes kind of throws than CJ Stroud ever did. You, you, so you look at his season numbers and his interceptions total is not really that different than CJ Stroud touchdown to interception ratio is much different, but the raw numbers of interceptions are similar. However, if you dig deeper, you see a bit of a difference here in, in the kinds of interceptions Stroud's interceptions were generally slight inaccuracy from not setting his feet when he would get some pressure or just things like miscommunication between the receivers, just those sorts of very small imperfections. McCord's interceptions are a lot more concerning. And he had two against Wisconsin that were really not great. One against Rutgers, also not great. He had the throw against Notre Dame on the final drive that should have been intercepted and ended the game and was not where uh, a linebacker or safety just steps in front of the route. It's been that sort of stuff, throwing directly to defenders and and not really uh, figuring out the coverage. And those are just the mistakes we never saw C.J. Stroud make. So if Michigan's defense is worth anything, they should have at least one throw in this game, I think, where McCord will throw it to a defender. And it'll be on Michigan to catch it, unlike Notre Dame. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then the X factor here is what is Michigan going to do coverage-wise? Because we saw Will Johnson follow uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith around against Penn State. Hmm. Will they try to replicate that? Are they going to play Josh Wallace? Are they going to put Sainer still on the outside and play McBurrows in the slot? How much blitzing are they going to do? Like, There's game plan considerations because both these teams have had a ton of time to prep specifically for this game. Right. There's going to be July drives and September drives and October drives. Yeah, there's there's especially defensively. Um, I've been charting the same defense every single week, and it's like okay, 
I, I have names for the three blitzes they run, just because they <laughs> they only been running three blitzes. Now, there's a lot more you can do with this. This defense is designed to have different players covering different zones, and they have not been doing it very much this year. And there's, I mean, there was some reason early in the season to be playing that way because your safeties were out, you had young players all out there. Uh, I don't think that, especially after the Maryland game, I don't think that we're going to have Will Johnson just lock down Marvin Harrison Jr. and call that a day and then play zone the rest of the way. I think that they're going to have a similar game plan to last year and the year before. Um, but Ohio State, I should, we need to get in their running game because they've changed kind of what they do midseason. You know, this is kind of a theme with Ohio State that it's like, okay, what's not working in the middle of the year? Let's change it up. They were very much a, a zone to the boundary and then try to throw it into the space on the other, on the in the field side going into the season. They've changed that up, but they still run a little bit up quite a bit of stretch zone, but they've really added a ton of counter. Um, and I think that the two of them are supposed to play off each other. It's just the way that Michigan plays defense, that's really not a good strategy. But the um, we've seen against Minnesota, a little bit against Maryland, Michigan does tend to sometimes spring leaks if their defensive tackles don't win up front when they play stretch. So I wonder if Ohio State's going to bring it back a little bit more this week um, or if, if Michigan can get away with playing an, with a, without – having, you know, an extra guy in the box for the running back. Yeah, I mean, that's the one point, like, when they play gap runs, Michigan can play a hat on a hat, and the defensive tackles will win. Yeah. But when you try to do that against stretch zone, you get one of those front side doubles on a defensive tackle where the, nobody has to leave the guy. Right. And so that's just never going to work out that well unless you have a superhero playing there. Well, I mean, it's... <laughs> No, but I'm talking about yeah. like the Dominican Sioux level player. I know, I know. But and that's the kind of the point is that Michigan sometimes does get away with it. They, I mean, against Maryland, they got away with it four or five times. Jenkins won a play. Graham won a play. Grant won a couple plays. It happens. It's but that's not going to happen consistently enough to like stop a running game if you play that way. Well, but I mean, the other thing is that like this offensive line is not significant step up from Maryland, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Maryland is a similar kind of line. They have a um, they have some good pass blockers who don't run block very well, and it, it's a good gamble that the defensive tackles are going to win. At least one defensive tackle is going to win his block on every play. Well, and then the other thing is like we talked about Hinsman, but Donovan Jackson, when Ohio State gets into a true pass set, which is a drop back pass that's mm -hmm. in the pocket that has at least four rushers that lasts from two to four seconds before the ball's out. So basically a drop back pass. Right. Uh, his pass protection drops off a cliff and heads into the 50s. So that's two of your three interior players who look like they will get absolutely ripped up by, by Michigan, whether that's man on man or if it's a stunt. Because Michigan is very good at stunting because Mason Graham just plows people out of the way and then there's huge lanes for loopers to, to get into. So... Like the distinct weakness of the Ohio State offensive line goes up against the distinct strength of the Michigan defensive line, and like it, it feels like Cord's going to have some opportunities to hit some plays mm -hmm. because Michigan's coverage and they've got maybe a hole or two in their secondary, and Ohio State's going to have some game plan to get after it, and then at some point McCord's going to get pressure, 
and then they're going to be in a long yarded situation. And that's like the money down right. for Michigan and Ohio State. So, I mean, if you go and you look at what Ohio State has done against, you know, the decent defenses on their schedule, it's it's not a whole lot, right? They put up 14 points against Notre I mean, 17 points against Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And we all know how that game ended. They put up 20 points against Penn State, and they're fortunate to do that. They put up 24 against Wisconsin. Rutgers is 35 by the end of that game, but you know that was by the end of the third quarter. That was that was a game. Same with the Maryland game. So Ohio State has had this tendency to like play these ugly games against middling teams and then kind of run away at the end. Mm-hmm. But at any point when they've gone up against a defense like Michigan, they've struggled. That they have not been a terribly high-scoring defense this season, and I would say continue to bring pressure, make McCord work, because when we referenced that Notre Dame game, rewatched that tape, that third and nineteen still kills me. Like <laughs> uh, they they had been wrecking McCord with pressure on that drive. He'd made some nice throws under it, but they were getting home consistently. They just forced an intentional grounding, and then on third and nineteen, they rushed three and they give him the time to settle in. Can't do that. You have to make his life uncomfortable, and if you do, you can have good chance of success. So all year, we've been saying they're just going to have two deep safeties. They're going to make Ohio State drive the field. They're not going to give Marvin Harrison a chance for a one-on-one play. Given the fact that Trayvon Henderson on a stretch play where he gets a lane because Michigan only has six in the box is a danger, and the fact that McCord is a completely awful quarterback when he gets pressure, does that argue for a more aggressive game plan than we have thought was on the table the whole year? Yes. Yeah, because you look at Michigan when they've gone against some of these offenses that you compared them to, Penn State or Maryland, right, where their offensive line is definitely not great, and teams have been able to single them up and and and, and just and – just you know, stop them. Michigan allowed those teams to move the ball on first down, particularly the Maryland game. They're getting five yards every first down because Michigan's playing too deep. And then when Michigan gets in a passing down, they would go man. And that was, I mean, that was just what we've been doing all year. It's been very vanilla. I don't think that the plan is to be that vanilla. I don't think that the plan is to let Ohio state kind of push the field and wait for Henderson to break a tackle. Now, Ohio state's game plan should be running based. I think that they're a better running team than they are passing and they can hit you over the top when teams adjust. I don't know That's if Ryan wild. Day is going to think that way. Cause their, their stats are, are awful. Yeah. Cause I mean, and then when Henderson came back, like Henderson blows up, but who's he blowing up against, you know? Like, this is a team that rushed for, like, 39 yards against Penn State. But I'm saying the way Michigan's been playing this year, they're, that's, what they're, that's what they're giving you. But I think Michigan's going to get more aggressive because it's the Ohio State game, and they want to put them in those long downs where now you can stunt, right? I don't think that Ohio State's going to have particular success in long downs against Michigan. I think that Michigan's, you know, if they, they go play the same way they've been playing all year, then Ohio State will have to drive the field. But I, I just don't think that that's, the way it's going to go down entirely. It's going to be, it, it, it could be like the plan. It could be like the, you know, the 70% of the game, but Michigan is going to up the pressure. They're going to do weirder things. They're going to have strange coverages. There's going to be a few opportunities for Ohio state to hit because they want to have Kyle McCord confused. They want to play. You know, you, you have to X's and O's this a little bit, right? It's, it's the game. You're not just going to have yeah. the same game plan as you had against Penn state and Maryland. 
All right. Any final thoughts on the Ohio State offense? Nope. All right. Let's take a break. Come back. Talk about their defense. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing at one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up, and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner, Founder and President at Peak Wealth Management. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. When you're watching the game, everyone knows what the score is. But you might be at halftime of your career. Do you know what the score is? Are you winning or do you need to play catch up? If you're behind in the second half of your career financially, we may need to run a hurry up offense like John Navarre in the 2003 game at Minnesota or run a three-quarter court press after a made free throw like Coach Howard likes to call. My team of CFPs at Peak Wealth Management are here to help you understand what the score is and what you need to do to win. Your spreadsheet doesn't tell you the score like we can. If you're going to spend all your free time watching replays of the 2021-2022 Ohio State games on repeat, you need to outsource your financial planning and investing with us at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. At Peak, our goal is to help you retire with peak confidence. Pinewood Organics is Ann Arbor's only cannabis microbusiness for adults 21 and older. They're a grower, processing lab, and dispensary rolled into one, cultivating and producing flour, old-school hash, edibles, CBD products, and more. You can find them across the street from Kroger on South Maple, just west of downtown, and at winewoodorganics.com. Veterans and MedCard holders save 10% on all orders, and first-time customers save 25%, as long as you're not wearing scarlet and gray. Hi, I'm Pete Cavarilla owner of Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning. We've been servicing Ann Arbor and Metro Detroit for over 40 years, and we know that the last thing you want to worry about is your heating and cooling system breaking down. Right now is a good time to sign up for our preventative maintenance plan, so you don't have to worry about it in November when the fourth quarters get interesting. Our maintenance members also get discounts and service calls, and you can rest assured our team plays tough in sun or snow and have never been called soft by Lou Holtz. Whether you need a tune-up, are ready for a new system, or want to upgrade your air quality before winter, Call us anytime or schedule an appointment on our website at SharonsHeating.com. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. 
Tell it like it is, like it once was Tell them what you think, where you came from Tell them how it felt to be so numb Waiting on the outcome, stuck with no income Tell it like it is, like it once was Welcome back to MGO Radio 9.11 We now turn our attention to the Ohio State defense Which is much better than it's been the past two years <laughs> The last year, Ohio State was very aggressive and had some things they needed to figure out when it came to preventing big plays, and they seem to have figured that out. So nobody has scored more than 17, I mean, 17 points against that defense, and that's Maryland. They've uh, consistently been consistent, I guess. Alex? Yeah, they don't they don't give up big plays. That's like the first thing to talk about. I was charting down some total defense numbers and looking at Ohio State versus Michigan. And what you see is that Michigan generally has given up eh, one-ish 40-plus yard play each game, 30 to 40 yard. And like a lot of times it was against, you know, in garbage time against backups, et cetera. But Ohio State hasn't. They have uh, given up, I think, one 40-plus yard play this entire season. And it was a passing play somewhere in there. They haven't given up a run of, of a super long length. I mean, this is a team that really just prevents those explosives. Um, there have been glimmers of hope for teams looking to drive the field against them, but not that many. And they've been just really strong, really consistent, a lot of talented players. There aren't a ton of guys that I look at and I'm like, this guy is a superstar, you know, bona fide top 10 in the draft. Like they, they don't have that kind of guy, but they have just a lot of players that are going to be solid late day one to day two sort of NFL draft picks. And uh, they look well coached and firing on a lot of cylinders right now. Yeah, I mean, they did have one forty-five yard run given up, but that was the like fake <laughs> yeah. quarterback sneak. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Rutgers. <laughs> uh, one thing that does kind of stand out though is that as they've gotten a little bit more conservative, their ability to just straight up stuff you at the line of scrimmage has declined. So they're they're like a C plus kind of team in, in adjusted line yards. And when you look at the teams on their schedule who have you know functional rushing attacks those are like you know maryland wisconsin penn state Rutgers, notre dame Rutgers gave it to them even without the uh, trick play so kyle Manongai and sam brown combined for 4.8 yards in an attempt um wimsett had 10 design runs that went for 56 yards and against wisconsin braylon allen had 10 carries for 50 yards but then he gets knocked out at halftime that's also a game where wisconsin is playing their backup quarterback and Notre Dame, five different running backs, for some reason, combined for 174 yards on 33 carries. So they did a good job against Penn State. They did a pretty good job against Maryland. But this is going to be the first time they play a functional run attack that has a mobile quarterback who is not Gavin Wimsett. Right. <laughs> <laughs> who, can, so, who can actually throw the ball. A little bit. <laughs> you know, Wimsat is a guy where you load up the box and it's fine. If you load up the box against Michigan and you come after it and Michigan actually runs play action, please, for the love of God, run play action, you could be in trouble. So I think that there's a case to be made here that if Michigan comes into this game with a ground forward attack that picks its spots when it comes to play action and sequences its plays pretty well, that Michigan could move the ball against this defense on the ground. Certainly seemed that way from the Notre Dame tape. Notre Dame in the first half of that game was trying to throw it quite a bit, 
And then the second half, they get down 10 nothing, and they're like, okay, let's stop doing that and just start running. And then they just started paving them. And there were a couple long rushing uh, first drives where they were churning out four or five yards of carry. Sometimes they were getting nine, 10 yard runs on first down. And Ohio State, for the most part, knew it was coming. And Notre Dame just had a lot of success. So that definitely caught my eye. Obviously, some similarities between uh, Notre Dame and, and Michigan in, in some ways. And then you look at the Rutgers tape, as we mentioned, no discernible passing threat at all in that game. And Rutgers was still able to move the ball pretty well on the ground. One thing I thought about their run defense is I don't think the linebackers are as good as they were in past years. Uh, the defensive tackles are pretty solid, but they are you can push them around here and there. Um, not bad players, but they definitely were being able to be moved. But last year, I felt the linebackers were generally quite sharp, and Eichenberg in particular, I thought in the run defense phase last year was quite strong, and this year not as much. If you look at his PFF grade, he's down 23 points from last year. He was a mid-80s player last year. He's, well, he's, he's in the low 60s. This yeah, yeah, he's had he some injuries. He hurt last year, Tommy Two Thumbs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they still have Steel Chambers, who I've never been a super huge fan of. So that was something that was allowing Notre Dame to turn those into 9-10 yard runs, is that when they were getting traction up front, the second level was not really being there. And then the safeties came in to help. And I do think their DBs have been pretty good against the run, but um, it seems like you have the opportunity to be tricky and put linebackers in wrong gaps um, with a decent amount of ease, given uh, the way they've played at times. Yeah. And this is a, a Sharon Moore game, right? And so the last week he was maybe excessively conservative, but one thing I did like is there's a period uh, on Michigan's second touchdown drive where they start the drive with six different runs and they, he mixes up which gaps are attacking. He uses Michigan's little A-gap power trap thing. He mixes in some duo and they got three first downs with ever getting to a third down. And then on the subsequent first and ten, they put in three wide receivers and did a straight drop back pass and I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> They had just run it thirteen we'll get, straight times. We'll we'll have that segment <laughs> later, <laughs> and then and and then they run a straight drop back pass with the passing personnel on the field. Like Donovan Edwards was on the field, and I was just like, "Why are we doing this?" But I think that's you know a a, a key, right? Is that like if Michigan can hit them on the ground some, then that play action opens up. But Michigan's actually got to freaking run it. And run it on first and ten, and run it on back-to-back plays, and just really press the Ohio State defense so that if they're trying to overreact to Michigan's ground game, that they're going to get hurt. And we have not seen Michigan do that effectively this year. Yeah, no, they've. I mean, Ohio State can lean back on some athletes that other teams haven't uh, don't haven't really had against us. And that's kind of a problem on both these sides of like the you know the ain't played nobody issue. Now they played Notre Dame who has a good rushing attack, but they've got really good tackles and don't have really good guards. I don't think anyone has that that Ohio State has played has had good guards and Michigan's got the best two in the country. And you know we were talking about those defensive tackles. Um you know they they run out Tyreek Williams who's had a great season and Ty Hamilton who's just a guy. They they mostly just get these guys who are, you know, top five, four stars or, uh, or five star talents, but they haven't gone anywhere. And, and like Larry Johnson used to just be able to find dudes and, and just, you know, have them be irascible little wrestlers inside. And I, I don't know 
if he's just kind of checking out or what's going on there, but like they've got into this mode where they were last year too, where they just recruit guys who have high, a lot of stars and they just plug them in there and they play them at 290 pounds and have them be athletes. And they have not yet faced a team that can really just shove those guys out of the way. And I, I, if, you know, if Michigan is going to pave these guys, it's going to be because the guards are just winning those battles. And we saw that last year, right? I would, not the same exact dudes, but Ty Hamilton's still out there. Um, Michael Hall is the third defensive tackle. He's been kind of – he's injured recently, so I – He I might think, not be available for this game, and that right. could be an important thing because yeah. Williams and Hamilton have played – I mean, Williams in particular is a guy who just doesn't really come off the field. And if Michigan is able to establish the run and – get on some long drives and he gets tired, then their run game gets more effective and they get to go on more long drives. And in the third and fourth quarter, maybe a little bit like the Notre Dame game, Michigan can just start rolling over these guys because they don't have the kind of depth at defensive tackle that Michigan does. Yeah, and Michael Hall in particular, I think would really, if if he is less than 100% or if he doesn't play at all, that would really impact their pass rush in particular. Um, the, the other two guys, I don't really think of as much of pass rushers, but Hall's thing is the elite burst, and that's been talked about in NFL draft circles for some time. He was banged up last year. We didn't get to see it as much, but you watch the tape, and any time a defensive tackle is just like flying into the backfield right off the snap, it's always Michael Hall. It's <laughs> never the other two guys. It's always Michael Hall, and sometimes that gets him into trouble in the run game where he you know shoots into the backfield and the play goes right by him. Um, but certainly in the pass rush, he is their best hope for a disruptive interior pass rusher. So if, if he isn't at full capacity, uh, that's an area where you likely would see a bit of a step back in performance for the team. Yeah, and we should turn our attention to that pass rush. They return Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimolao. Wow. Cool. I, I'm never uh, getting along, that one. <laughs> along with Hall, and, and those guys are all plus – pass rushers uh jtt remains sort of mid like he's got a 14 percent win rate which is solid um swears up to 19 percent. and hall as mentioned is a, a superb interior pass rusher so if they are missing him that is going to be a uh, a big miss for them but on michigan side of the ball carson barnhart has um been a huge problem the last two weeks yeah so, i signed him by the way Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's accurate. Yeah. So Michigan has to completely dump the passing game after he gets beat clean on three of Michigan's like first six passes. And then against Maryland, a team that does not have the talent level of Ohio State, he picks up another suite of six pass pro minuses, um, two of them on three man rushes where he just gets zipped around on the outside. Now, JTT and Sawyer are not pure edge mavens they're speed to power guys and last year you know barnhart hung in against them i actually think he only had two pass pro minuses in last year's game but it feels like both of ohio state's defensive ends have improved somewhere between somewhat and considerably and barnhart was pretty much the guy he's always been through the first 10 games of the season nine games of the season and now it looks like he is regressing and could be a major pain point in this game yeah, the big question with Barnhart is just, it, it, can he revert to form from last year? Because he played in this game last year against these guys, and it wasn't particularly terrible in any 
reaway, and I do think they've improved to some amount, but not like a dramatic amount. So it, it's definitely the case that I think uh, Sawyer and uh, JTT are much better as kind of bull rushers that are going to constrict the pocket as opposed to just tear around the edge. But if Barnhart's at, at a point of free fall where he can't even get a hand on guys, then it you know won't really matter. So uh, they they blitzed a lot against Penn State, which is worth pointing out. Now I think that was having zero respect for Drew Aller or the Penn State receivers, which is completely correct. But I'm curious to see how much they bring the heat against Michigan. The one tendency they've shown is that when they bring blitzes, it's almost always from the linebacker level. They've not run a lot of corner blitzes this year, not a lot of safety blitzes. They just like to blitz the linebackers. And Cody Simon, the third linebacker, comes on the field sometimes in four three sets, but mostly as a rotational guy to replace one of the starters. He's a really good blitzer, really good pass rusher. So Michigan's got to be ready for that. But I'm curious to see if they have some more deceptive defensive back blitzes that they just haven't used this season because we haven't seen it at all. They did have a cornerback blitz against Notre Dame that I think that they've shelved since then. But, and that's something that we might see again because it's Michigan, Ohio state, but you're very right about the linebackers blitzing. And I'm guessing that's what, Ohio State's going to want to do in this game because the linebackers well, really, a little, huh? They don't really do it very much. So Simon has a total of 18 rushes on the season. Yeah. And Eichenberg is at 61, but that's only a 20% blitz rate. And it looks like for the most part, it's just the front four and they almost never drop any of those guys into coverage. And again, it's the game. Things could be <laughs> right. changed up. But it does really feel like it's going to be a straight four-man rush, and they're going to try to win one-on-one. And their best chance to do that is against Carson Barnhart. And so when I was on TK8 this Tuesday, Sam was openly speculating about Barnhart getting an early hook. Mm -hmm. And he said that that was just based on his own personal speculation, and he hadn't heard anything from inside the program. Um, But to me, that's a really interesting thing to hear because – Program says that Miles Hinton is available. I don't know if I believe him. But right. We know we know Trent A. Jones is available, and we know Trent A. Jones is a better run blocker than Carson Barnhart. And it seems unlikely at this point that Jones can be significantly worse than Carson Barnhart as a pass blocker. And you know me, I've been team Trent A for basically his whole career, but I mean, it's me. Yeah. I'm not taken very long to see if Barnhart starts off badly and I'm not I'm making that change quick because Michigan is one of the few teams in the country that has that luxury to be like yeah this guy's not playing very well let's bring in our fifth year senior who started half of last year and played well yeah I mean that's the kind of but that and the play action passing are the things we're like okay we we can't can't go any further because like we've already you know here's our charting here's what we see in the game here's what should we think should be happening and it's not um the the program absolutely loves Carson Barnhart and has for a long time they put him on the field in 2020 ahead of like a lot of other players who were potential who we thought were going to be good players um but I think that if Sam's saying it that that maybe at least because he talks to the coaches, right? Like he has some sort of, of knowledge there. Yeah. I mean, like, I think, I think he hasn't heard anything definitive, but I mean, he's probably been talking to people and they're like, you know, we got options. Yeah. Right. Uh, 
Yeah, and I want to go back just to defensively too. I think that's probably true for Josh Wallace as well. But if you know, we again the ain't played nobody thing goes both ways. Michigan has not seen receivers on the level of Ohio State. We saw a couple of them against Maryland, and then and they got beat. So if Josh Wallace, they've been prepping that. Like you've seen them be willing to pull out Josh Wallace and put um, McBurrows in, in at nickel and put Samer still at corner, and you saw them a little bit against you know. You saw them ready to move Barnhart out if they needed to. They put Barnhart at left tackle, though. They didn't really – maybe I'm wrong. Scratch that. I'm wrong. <laughs> they, they, they they didn't take him off the field. They put him at left tackle when because uh, they didn't have Henderson. And they put uh, – yeah. and that's why Jones is on the field. Well, after Hinton went out, they flipped him to left tackle. Right. And that's when the issues started happening. Well, there was one in the first half. But yeah. in any case, he was – iffy on the ground as well in the in the Maryland game he had some bad decisions and he just doesn't bring the oomph that the other guys bring um so yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens we haven't really touched on the Ohio State secondary which uh is very good Denzel Burke is apparently playing himself into a first round status in the NFL draft Josh Proctor has been very good Lathan Ransom is likely out for this game which I don't you know, we can always joke about the fact that that's a big miss for Michigan Oh, for last year's game, yeah, but but he was a starting safety for a reason, and he was probably going to play a lot better. Uh, and if he didn't, he was just going to have to immediately transfer to Kazakhstan. Yeah, but I mean, they've got a guy though. They they've been replacing Lan- uh, Ransom with Sonny Styles, who you know was a super five star. He was like the third overall recruit in the country. Like, well, but he's he's their nickel. Like he's Jordan already... Hancock is technically there. He's Jordan yeah, Hancock well, yeah. is more like their Sainer still, and Ransom is the guy who's going to match up against the tight ends. Well, in any you mean Styles or Styles? Yeah, well, but yeah, that's the same position. It's Bandit. They have weird names for their safety jobs. So yeah. there's Bandit, Nickel Safety, and Adjuster, and, and we're talking about the Bandit here, who's the you know the, the the guy who plays opposite the tight end. Yeah, I mean they do have kind of a weakness in Davison Igbenosen. The Ole Miss transfer, who Michigan was interested in, he's done you know decently well, uh, but he's very handsy. He's picked up six pass interference penalties this year, um, and he's a guy who Michigan could maybe try to get after. I mean, but to me, it's like the linebackers, right? Yeah, I I want to say one thing on the secondary real quick: the Burke Roman Wilson matchup if we presumably get that is going to get a lot of NFL attention in this game. So that's going to be something marquee to watch. I was at times a bit of a doubter of Burke in the past, but he's played awesome this year. So I'm fascinated to see how that one uh, goes. I agree on the Igbenos and handsiness part. That's his big weakness. So I guess if you were going to intentionally underthrow a ball, do it towards Igbenosin's <laughs> direction. Um, but on the point of the linebackers, that is where Notre Dame had their biggest success. I mean, the part of the ain't played nobody thing here is how few functional passing attacks any team that these these two squads have seen. But Notre Dame has Sam Hartman, who isn't like a superstar, but he can throw the ball. And that was where Sam Hartman made his living. They rarely targeted the corners. If they did, they threw it at Benosa, and they never targeted Burke, basically. I think he had one target in the game. But where they made their living was dinking and dunking over the middle of the field to the tight ends. Sometimes it was just the tight end runs a little five-yard route, sits down in the zone, they hit him, and they move the sticks. Other times they had a couple 20-plus-ish passing plays where you get that uh, spot between the linebackers and the safeties over the middle of the field. Tight end Mitchell Evans had seven catches in that game, 
which uh, led the Notre Dame team. So that is where you want to uh, really be aggressive. And in particular, Donovan Edwards, the tight ends, that's where you want to go with the ball. Yeah, and that goes back to play action, right? Yep. So, And then the other thing is, this is going to be the game where Michigan puts it all on the table. And we don't know exactly what that looks like, but we do know it's going to have a healthy dose of J.J. running the ball. And we've had this Donovan Edwards two running back package for much of the year, and they've done a couple of things out of it. They haven't done a really a whole lot with it. But if there's a game where you're going to shock the opposition by having Donovan Edwards in the ballgame and getting them a good matchup, this would be it. And I kind of feel like two years ago, you know, Michigan had that McCarthy package in the game and they ran a bunch of different, different stuff out of it. All of it worked. And once they ran out of that package, they were just done with it. I have to assume that there is some sort of Donovan Edwards in space against Tommy Eichenberg (laughs) design. I mean, they can, they can try to get right. I mean, every year Michigan's played Ohio state even before Harbaugh, but certainly under Harbaugh, We've come out of it thinking, oh, that was a really good offensive game plan, right? Yeah. 2015, they had like a bunch of cool ways to hit them. They used Chris Evans, and that helped them, you know, stay in the game in 2017. Could have won that game, right? Like, even games that Michigan was not in in this period, they had a really good offensive game plan for what they had. I think they had to scrap a bunch of their game plan because Wilton Spade had a broken shoulder uh, in 2016. But like that was. That was the only time that they didn't have a whole bunch of things we hadn't seen before. Um, and there have been, I mean, <laughs> they've put, who have they played, right? Like, who, when, when would they have brought any of this stuff out? Penn State was the only game that, you know, was circled on the schedule in, early in the season. And they, and had they a, clearly decided the thing that they were going to bring out against Penn State was the heavy package. Right, so right. Which they they're probably not that. doing. Yeah. Well, no, because I can't. I, I mean, I can't imagine Hinton's going to be ready to go for this one. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So they're going to have some things, right? And and they had some things last year. I think they had to dump a lot of the package they had last year because Ohio State just went with this insane response. I don't think that that's going to be the same thing. I think that Michigan's going to have plenty to to screw around with and. It sucks that Harbaugh is not going to be there to orchestrate it because it's more about like the timing of when you put it in and get a feel for that. And, you know, I think that's probably a spot where we really could have used the head coach on the sideline. Well, you know, it is what it is in that in that department. But, you know, for all the ain't played nobody people talk about with Michigan, as you guys mentioned, they've played two functional quarterbacks this year. And one was Hartman and one was Tungavailoa. And they did a great job on Tungavailoa, 4.8 yards at attempt. Hartman was at seven. But then, you know, the third best quarterback on their schedule was Tanner Mordecai, and he didn't play. Right. So they've, this is going to be, I think, a new world for for them as well. Because, you know, if J.J. McCarthy is the version of the quarterback that we've seen prior to the Maryland game, that's on a whole other level from anybody else Ohio State has seen. So. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing to point out. Like Hartman's a good college quarterback. Talia has his moments, but if JJ wants to uh, go in a high spot in the NFL draft, he needs to play like it. And if he does, this will be a new dimension, and they will not have seen anybody like that previously. So, in, in some ways, I think this is kind of the JJ legacy game. This is his chance to make his mark, and if he outplays McCord. Hard to see Michigan losing is what I would probably say. Yeah. I mean, uh, JJ is the guy that, you know, if you were looking at 
you know, wh- why would we throw out the Maryland game? Because you've seen the rest of the season, right? And even even the Bowling Green game, there were only like a couple mistakes. And JJ has otherwise been lethal. And I know we'll get into the, his game against Maryland uh, in another segment here, but I I gotta believe. JJ in particular was probably more focused on Ohio State than Maryland last week. Well, we've also heard that he didn't actually practice very much because right. of whatever issue he had. So hopefully that's not the case this week and he's at full strength. Uh, briefly, special teams. Uh, Ohio State is sort of middling overall, but they make it interesting in ways that FBI doesn't really account for. <laughs> so Ohio State fans generally want to murder their special teams coach because of various mishaps. Here's a list, a successful fake punt for Michigan State, even though Ohio State had a punt safe on, a botched punt snap that gave Maryland a short field, a punted ball hitting an Ohio State cover cover guy and being recovered by Penn State, and a fake punt that didn't work against Rutgers and gave Rutgers a short field that led to a field goal. They also, of course, had the issue last year against Michigan where they had the fake on but didn't actually run it. Mm -hmm. And then they had another mishap uh, against Georgia, so have you followed the thing where the special teams coordinator is the same name as yes. the Stetso war guy? That is, that is already that yeah. is already in the preview that I've written up. <laughs> um, but other than that, they've been okay. Um, their punt return units have done nothing. They're averaging 4.6 yards in attempt. They haven't done anything on kickoffs because kickoffs don't matter. Jaden Fielding, their kicker is 14 to 16. He's three of five from 40 plus and hasn't attempted a 50 yarder. So it's possible that if Michigan gets him in a 47-yarder that he's a little bit wobbly. And then their punter, Jesse Mirko, is not great. His net of 38.6 yards is 11th in the league. Uh, and opponents I, are averaging 13.5 yards of return on him. And that's not like a, an 80-yard touchdown. That is like pretty was, much every time you get a return on him, it's a good one. He was playing he's hurt. A, for a, p- a portion of the season, I think. Because last year he was really good. Know. He's an Aussie guy. But I think that he lost the uh, he lost something in the middle of the season. He's, and teams started returning ball. He never gave up returns before. And then all I of a know, sudden this, this year he's given up returns. Yes, yeah, so something off. And he's a line drive guy. Yeah. So if he doesn't get it past the returner, that guy's going to have an opportunity. Now Michigan's probably going to be playing Jake Thaw. So it's not like you've got Donovan Edwards out there returning kicks unless you do. Um, (laughs) would not be against it (laughs) this does feel like overall an advantage for michigan because they're less likely to do something bogglingly bad um but you know it's special teams so any assertions you make about special teams are insane all right here we go predictions alex this is this is a tough one just because it feels like of all of the years of this Ohio State game in recent memory, this is the one with the most moving pieces in terms of how little we know about these teams because of the week schedules, the Harbaugh factor, so many other things. I do think if everybody is at full strength and we just look at it in the abstract, Michigan, I think is, is a better team, but uh, and they're at home, but football's a random game and you never know, but I will say Michigan 24-17. Seth? You know, I I believe in trends. I think that, you know, we beat them 42-27 with a much worse team than we have now. We beat them 45-23 with a slightly worse team than we have now. So if you follow that trend line, then Michigan's going to score three more points than they did last year. They'll be 48. And Ohio State will score four fewer points than they scored last year, which would be 48-19. There you go. 
Go blue! <laughs> I mean, I, I think this is going to be a slobber knocker, and it's not going to be a very high-scoring game. I think you're going to see Michigan have more down-to-down success than Ohio State, and Ohio State is more likely to hit something big. But then I think, combined with the fact that I don't think Ohio State's going to be able to stay on the field that well, because once you get the quarterback under pressure, he falls apart, and Michigan's probably going to be able to use those line yard advantages and sort of carve out some drives. I think it'll be close and then Michigan will distance themselves in the fourth quarter. So I got 27, 18. Okay. Here we go. All right. We're going to take a break, come back and briefly touch on basketball. Cause this is already taking an hour. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president of peak wealth management, your MGO financial coach. And it is our goal to help you retire with peak confidence. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Bo says the team, the team, the team. Lately, my mantra has been the plan, the plan, the plan. Check out the Trust the Plan podcast. Search out my name, Nick Hopwood, on any platform and give us a follow. You know, we haven't updated this ad in over two years because since the last versions went live, we only had one Big Ten loss. And honestly, I'm a little superstitious. But for this ad, I just want to give a shout out to all the loyal Wolverines and MGO blog fans who've reached out to us from as far as France, Japan, Seattle, San Francisco, Dallas, Florida, New York, and of course, all over the great state of Michigan. And you guessed it, we're pulling recruits out of Ohio as well, just like Harbaugh. Thank you very much. So no matter where life has taken you after your time in Ann Arbor, we're here to help you build a plan you can trust. If you're looking for a second opinion, visit us at peakwm.com slash blog today. Is your online store sluggish, outdated, underperforming? You may be suffering from chronic crappy website disorder. One in three online stores built by your brother's friend's nephew currently suffers from chronic crappy website. But now, there's hope. Introducing Human Element. Huel has helped hundreds suffering from CCW to turn their online stores around, creating fast, secure, and engaging online experiences that turn visitors into customers and put products back at the top of their search engine game. Before Huel, I had abandoned carts, browser errors, and poorly animated GIFs. Now, with Huel, I can focus on what I'm actually good at, running my business. Jeffrey, would you be a deer and pull the Ferrari around? Side effects may include increased traffic, customer conversions, better ROI, compliments, elation, and early retirement. Why live with the disappointment of chronic crappy website disorder? Speak to your human element consultant today to see if Huel is right for you. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the big house. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. Maize and Blue Nation, it's Tom Brady. I co-founded Autograph with one mission in mind, change the fan experience for the better. That's why I'm excited to announce the release of a new app that recognizes the biggest Michigan fans. The Autograph fandom app gives you access to the best Michigan content, fan challenges, and exclusive rewards for diehard Wolverines, all for doing the things you already do, like listening to this podcast. 
Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Rewarding Fans and download today. The poor one. Welcome back to Emgar Radio 11.9. We now turn our attention to the basketball team coming off a win against Stanford in the second round of the battle for Atlantis, whatever it is. It's very silly. They now stand <laughs> at 4-2 and two on the year. And previously, after the first three games, we're like, oh, man, this team's really going to have a great defense. And that has not been the case over the last three games, <laughs> uh, to say the least. Um less than some of its parts they did kind of find their their footing in the second half against uh Stanford but uh, I'm a little I'm a little concerned because it feels like the bread and butter of this team should be we got Terrace Reed we got Oliver Kamwa we've got Namari Burnett you're going to score 60 points against us and we just got to beat that and instead it's the exact opposite they're a high flying offense and they can't stop anyone and I I'm at a loss to say why. I mean, they're getting, they're getting used to playing with each other, I'm guessing. Um, they also have struggled to keep Terrace Reed on the court. I don't think it, from foul trouble as much as he just, you know, the, he's just not in shape yet to to do that. He needs to be pulled every once in a while. But, like, when he comes off, then... Well, they had to pull up late against Stanford because he is currently a prime target for Hackashack. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was like, I, there's two minutes left. I'm like, where is Terrace? And I was like, oh. There, it wasn't I mean, against Stanford. Played. That was against Memphis. Yeah. No, it was against Stanford. They had to pull him off in the last couple of minutes. Oh, okay. Um, they, uh, but I think part of the problem is as soon as anybody from the starting lineup hits the bench, it's like, okay, we don't have a real center in the game, and mm-hmm. we're technically playing um, Will Cheddar there, and that's, I mean, just never going to work out. There were some offensive possessions with neither Kamwa nor Reed on the floor with Cheddar playing center. And it was just, it was just a disaster. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not holding Cheddar responsible for the, the, the issues with using. No, Cheddar. it's, it's yeah. a roster. issue. It's yeah. not a Cheddar issue, right? Yeah. He should be playing, you know, he should be your backup four, and he should be playing 10 to 15 minutes a game where he play. I mean, he's shooting nine of like 11 from two on the season, right? I mean, mm-hmm. from three on the season. He has a role on a decent team, but that's not backup center. Yeah. Um, and of course, as soon as Doug goes to the bench, everything goes to hell. Like, I think the decisive passage in the Memphis game, given every the way everything turned out, was the end of the first half where he picked up a second foul and he got auto benched, which is the worst auto bench in the history of auto benches. Because <laughs> for one, you do not have a backup point guard. He is your yeah. only point guard. And for two, the guy averages two fouls per 40 minutes. You don't need to auto bench him. And I was, I mean, the lack of situational awareness um, for that has always been frustrating. And it's never going to get any better. Like John Beeline was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Phil Martelli was doing it. Jawan Howard's doing it. I give up. I'm not even arguing about this anymore. It's just something that will befall us. Um, but it, it kind of feels like. After the first three games, we're like, oh, this is going to be a good team. Maybe we'll get a Sweet 16 team and now a seed. And now it's like, oh, uh, well, feels like a bubble team now. <sighs> maybe it, maybe things get better when uh, Jalen Llewellyn comes back. But the other thing that's hard about this team is like you just watch it and you just mentally insert Terrence Shannon oh, and Caleb Love yeah. the team. And then you're like, oh, then we really have something. And instead, 
we're missing two guys from a really good team. And they're two guys who wanted to come here and got shot down by admissions who, who were coming from, <laughs> you know, Texas tech and um, UNC. Yeah. Like, it's not like we're trying to get these guys in from Michigan state or a junior college. Oh, like, they're, they were supposed to be grad transfers. And the idea is the grad transfer can get in because we don't have to go through LSA and get right. tra- and get credits transferred. The problem is credits themselves don't transfer. It's a I um, don't care what the problem is. I care that a, it is a problem. Right. Right. And it's just like people are mad and I'm like, yeah, but it's this is this is college basketball now. It's transfer portal season all day, every day. Yeah. And if Michigan's best two additions or at least most highly touted two additions over the past two years are being are failing to gain admission for reasons that are bad, whatever they are. I mean, you're, you've got a basketball team with one hand tied behind its back. And I was hopeful that Santa Ono would be able to do something about that, but apparently not. Um, no, so. I mean, I, as I understand it there, Santa only has so much power to tell a Dean who they can and can't let in. And that's real. And that's really where it is. As far as this team is concerned, um, cause I don't want to think about, Terrence Shannon being a, t- a Ken Palm top 100 player, top 10 player on Illinois, who's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, ah, like what a waste. Um, but like Trey Jackson, as far as our transfers that we did get, has been way worse probably than he's going to be all season. I think he's pushing a lot. He's turning the ball over. He's just not. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like one-on-one play right now. And I, it was like, I understand that a team like Memphis where everybody's six foot five is not going to be Doug's best game. Uh-huh. And that's a situation where a Caleb Love on your team would be really helpful, but he's not on the team. So, you know, it is what it is. And this is this team's going to be a struggle. And the most important thing is to try to, like, stabilize a roster for next year. And they got three freshmen coming in. They will presumably get back Doug and Terrace. Hmm. They'll get back Cheddar. And then it's like patch a couple holes with people who actually get into the school. And you can see things head in the right direction but i would just love to have a roster that looked like it made any sense <laughs> i mean yeah it's this i mean the same problem as last year we don't have a wing right we've got terrence williams who's a forward we got uh nakam was a forward you have burnett and mcdaniel who are um guards who's a wing on this team like the only wing-shaped guy is yo-yo and he's just not playable right now right All right, we're going to take a break, come back, and talk about what we saw in the Maryland game. Hey, fellow Michigan fans, this is Matt Demarest, Realtor and Lender. For a decade now, you've heard me on the podcast talk about mortgages, and I've helped hundreds of fellow Michigan fans in that capacity, including Brian and Seth. But many of you don't know I'm a real estate broker as well. I promise to make buying, selling, or financing homes simple and cost-effective anywhere in the state of Michigan. Whether you're upsizing, downsizing, buying a vacation home, or building a real estate investment portfolio, send me a text or give me a call. It's never too early to make a plan, and the call is always free. My number is 734-882-8194. Again, 734-882-8194. Or you can find me online at realtorandlender.com. That's realtorandlender.com. Whether you want to buy, sell, or finance a home, or even all three, I promise to provide the experience so many of you have come to expect over the years. And as always, thank you, and go blue. NMLS 1011726, Equal Housing Lender. 
One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality, video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable community. Hey, so I have like insurance and stuff, but I don't really like know what's going on with it. Yeah, you- it, your your coverage probably sucks, and you're paying way too much for it. And I know this because I had a guy. Uh, he's a uh, his name's Phil Klein. He's actually a Michigan alum and wrestled for Michigan. He okay. looked at my insurance and he was like, "Yeah, your coverage sucks, and you're paying a lot more than you need to for it." I also like I, I hesitate to even mention this, but I do have my insurance from a company that advertises during college football games. Well, I wish that was not the case. Well, why don't you just get it from a cool guy who actually like reads them go blog? Well, how would I do that? <laughs> they have a website. They have one of those too. It's philkleininsurance.com. Can you remember the name Phil Klein? Sure. Can you remember insurance? Yes. Okay. Use those two together and you will save money on your insurance and you will actually get better coverage on your home and your auto and they do life too. All right. So you're telling me if I Google Phil Klein insurance, this, this website will come up. Yes. Wonders never cease. Let's take a night walk. Forget the time. It's going by and take the night off. I think it's fine, it's fine. Among all these pretty faces, dollar bills and advertisements, corporations, reputation gets exaggerated out of fear. Generation, get me out of here. I don't even fucking know my peers. The generous begging for better years. Destination could be anywhere. Welcome back to Emgar Radio 9.11. Thank you to Nadib Azam for the music this week. Uh, we are now going to turn to the Maryland game, what we discovered after charting every play. Seth can start because the answer was probably nothing. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's the same game we've been playing every single week, right? Like, the defensive line is great. Hooray. I, I finally decided to just get hot and be like, this is the greatest defensive line in Michigan history. And, I mean, other than star power at the top, there's an argument, and there's even an argument that the star at the top is going to be as good as uh, you know some of the stars we've had before because we are really seeing Mason Graham turn into – I think he's put up an All-American season this year. I think he should be a Heisman candidate next year. Well, he can't do that while rotating as much as he does, but spiritually, yes. I mean, K- 
Kenneth Grant flashed a lot of plays, mm-hmm. and I just want to know how you felt he held up on a down to down. Well, they, I mean, they bring him in to flash. He he held up pretty well. They are still, you know, he's not Mason Graham where he does it without making mistakes. But I think there was only two minus ones in this game. Um, and it's hard to play the way Michigan's playing without picking up negatives. And I think that, like, that was something that came along over the seasons that they, they really haven't had that many minuses. Like, they, they get doubled often, Right. And it's easy to pick up a minus when you're getting doubled. I try to be cool about it, but like if you get moved four yards, you're going to pick up a minus. And there just has not been that much of that. What happens is as soon as they start moving down, they rip past the guy, and then all of a sudden he's alone in the lane. Um, you know, Kenneth Grant, it's just they're not using him as often. The The snap counts aren't there. So he gets 35 snaps. Graham has 36 snaps. Jenkins has 33 snaps. And you got Good and Benny who are getting snaps in the 20s. So it's, it's not like you're getting full games out of any of these guys. You have to put any two games together to get to the same number of snaps that we're used to seeing from anybody. And then, you know, if you extrapolate, Kenneth Grant had like a plus 14 minus four day if you put it into like a full game. But that's not what's happening. They're, they're rotating them to keep them fresh so they can make these plays. And that's what he's doing is making plays. All right, secondary takes. Uh, I mean, the problem with Michigan's ain't played nobody is that they finally play a somebody or, or a relative somebody, right? Tonga Veloa can throw the ball. He's got some receivers, and the receivers made plays. Rod Moore had a really rough day. Uh, I guess out of his, you know, I, I gave him a plus two, minus seven, but four of those minuses were from two plays where he just was in the wrong spot on an RPO. Um, one of them he almost made the play anyway. It was near the goal line, but he missed the tackle. And then the other one was the um, when he just sucked in all the way and didn't see the tight end releasing, and uh, you know almost gave up a big play. They fortunately uh, Maryland dropped that pass. So the safeties kind of had a had a rough day. Uh, I think that that was probably a focus issue. Um, Will Johnson had a rough day. That was a little bit more concerning because I was hoping when I went back that I would see some push-offs or something like that. And, you know, there, there are push-offs, but, like, nothing that you don't see in every single pass that's completed downfield, right? Like, it's it's incumbent on the cornerback to make up that ground, and he didn't. So I don't know what was really going on there. It's only two passes that they really got him on. Um, Josh Wallace looked a little more troublesome because we had another instance where they give him a double move. He was in position, and then he gets completely out of his uh he completely runs out of where he's supposed to be and like you know at this point of the season in this part of his career you should not be making minus three level mistakes like that uh after that they they pulled him they put Sainer still at corner Sainer still is Sainer still you know he's small and he'll get bodied a little bit uh but you know he's he's an excellent player and I think that he'll be able to hang out it's just these are not Will Johnson could probably play better than this. I don't think the opposite cornerback position ever got solved. I think that we got through the end of the season and we're pretty much where we were at the beginning of it. Well, that's uh, less than salutary. Uh, Offensively, I mean, we talked about Carson Barnhart already. I don't think I'll be, uh, it won't be revelatory for anybody to know that he had a very bad game. Mm -hmm. And that includes on the ground where he was a minus three, he was plus five, minus eight. He made two minus two errors. There was a power play where Michigan had to go outside because he just didn't move a guy. And 
the good news is everybody else blocked fantastic. Like the interior line all got huge scores. There was that dive play on Michigan's first touchdown drive where they picked up five yards. And that was <laughs> that was pretty much the theme for the day is that every single time a, Mich- a Maryland defensive tackle had to do anything, he got his ass kicked. Um, I thought Hinton was improved a great deal. I mean, I had him for a couple of minuses for falling off blocks. There was one missed assignment. But in terms of latching on to people and putting them places, he was excellent. Like there were a number of times where, you know, he'd get a kickout block and the guy would be, you know, face up on him and be like, oh, I'm going to two gap you. And then Miles Hinton would be like, no, <laughs> I'm going to pick you up and put you outside. And now you're not two gapping me. Oh, there's, um, there's the one play where you, I, I couldn't figure out, you couldn't figure out either um, if he even blocked the right guy. But the guy he blocked is just completely exits the play. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel like he, was much better about not leaning. His pass protection, I think, was I think he was flawless the whole game. And uh, honestly, if he was available and 100, percent I'm starting him at right tackle. Oh, um, for this game because he was good enough that I think he would be a big upgrade on Carson Barnhart. Um, the bad news, of course, was that JJ McCarthy had a day that was probably even worse than it felt like. Um, live because he had Shea Patterson disease where Michigan schemed him up some shots for posts in the middle of the field where there was no deep safety and he didn't take them. So the play that was dangerous early where it went to Barner and it got broken up, one, that breakup is on A.J. Barner mm-hmm. because he's a check down option. He's about four yards downfield, and then he decides he wants to be eight yards downfield. That was not the right move. But they, the free safety on that play follows Colston Loveland on an over route. And this goes off the screen. Cornelius Johnson is running downfield. It's a cover three corner. He's got outside leverage. I'm sure he's running a post. Um, Sam Webb said he was wide open because Sam Webb gets. Yeah, the they, well, yeah, they saw it on the, the Gardner thing. When he did his show with Gardner, they talked about that and, one. And yes. Yeah. And then there was uh, there was that back shoulder fade to Cornelius Johnson that didn't come off. I thought that throw was fine and that Cornelius Johnson got held and that should have been PI. But also, once again, we have a situation where the middle of the field is is wide open and Samaj Morgan has inside leverage on a cornerback. Mm-hmm. And that's should be an easy throw over the middle for a touchdown. The the ball that went to the corner to nobody, again, inside leverage, no safety. Cornelius Johnson is wide open on a post. So on top of the two minus three decisions at the back end of the first half, there were three coulda, shoulda touchdowns that he didn't throw right. And the first play of the game, he throws it to the sideline when he's got Olsen Loveland open by alignment for a much easier throw for an easy conversion. I can't explain it because I, I hadn't had a bad read for him since the Bowling Green game. And he came up with, I think, four or five in this game. And Maryland has a good secondary, but the things that he was missing weren't like, oh, Maryland has a good secondary plays. It was like, we schemed this touchdown for you and you didn't throw it. And he finally throws it in the fourth quarter when they run play action, but you know he misses it. And that's, yeah. that's fine. You're going to miss some throws sometimes. But when the shot's there, you got to take the shot. So I, I don't know what happened. I, I mean, I got a couple theories here for you. And you can maybe just just play whack-a-mole with, with, with Seth's bullshit, okay. all right? Uh, one, we heard that he didn't get to practice as much this week. He probably was yeah, not. Yeah, that's probably part of it. Yeah. Two, 
uh, he loses Roman Wilson, and he does sometimes tend to focus on his guys, and he talk about Samaj Morgan being open. Well, normally that spot is going to be his favorite receiver, and normally he would yeah. think to look there, right? Yeah, and there was that uh, the, the Tyler Morris uh, slot fade where he gets interfered with, mm-hmm. and they don't call it. I don't think that Roman Wilson is in position to be interfered with right. if he's running that route. Right. Right. So losing Roman Wilson, I think, was a was a factor in this. I think that the win might have been a factor in how much he was interested in throwing downfield. If, if like, you know, if, if he wants to put something in there that's that normally he wouldn't mind ch- chucking no, it. And... I don't I don't buy that one because okay. the guy's open. You got to You got to You got to try. Like, yeah. And the yeah. guy's open in such a way is that like even if the wind knocks the ball around, you're probably fine because we're talking about a post with the middle of the field open. There's no, there's no deep safety. Yeah. So that should be the easiest deep throw in football because you've got a ton of room to throw your guy open. Yeah. And then here's my weakest idea is that he just has certain guys that he trusts, um, especially his tight ends. You know, he wants to go to Loveland and he reads things well, but, before the snap. And when you look at the goal line interception and the inter- and the should have been an interception beforehand, I think he saw something at the snap on both those where he was like, okay, I get to go to my tight end. No, no because the first one, it's an eight-man zone, and he leaves the pocket. And the guy who's open at the front corner of the end zone is Colson Loveland. Right. So <laughs> and he just didn't yeah. see that one. And then the the – Actual interception was just a horrible throw. Didn't see the linebacker, I guess, but got to expect that that guy's going to be there. So for whatever reason of a reversion to Bowling Green, if he plays like that against Ohio State, we're not beating Ohio State. But we got nine out of 11 fantastic performances for him, so I'm feeling fairly confident that won't be the case. Uh, One last thing is that the game plan was bad. (laughs) And... (laughs) <laughs> That's a pre-OSU thing, but it was boggling to me. I, I mentioned this before. Michigan ran 13 straight times, and when they finally passed it, they didn't go play action. They didn't even line up in a formation that they run out of much. And I was like, what are we doing? And then again on that drive, it was like the same thing happened where it's first and 10, and Michigan wants to throw, and they put a throwing package on the field, and they run a straight drop back. And I'm like, why are we doing this? We, we are the University of Michigan. We have a crushing ground game. Every single one of these defensive tackles is going to be in Bolivia by the time this game is over. Why are we not running first down play action? And, you know, this has been a problem the whole year. It was a problem last year, too. Yeah. And I don't know why, but I certainly hope this is a tendency Michigan breaks and they run a ton of play action because, as we mentioned, you, you tried the TCU game, 25 yards an attempt on a total of six play action passes. Uh huh. They should, like, Every single plausible rundown, if they're passing, it should be play action. But they don't want to do that, and I don't know why, and it bothers me. But hopefully, yeah. I, we're going to see all the all the all the tricks come out. Yeah, I I I don't know the answer. I don't know why they don't do that. There's this has been this has been something that we've been talking about for so long that I. I only can think that maybe Sharon has been coaching under Harbaugh and is was an extreme version of that, and it was so extreme this week that they no, got talked I mean, to just, about it. Like it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, there's no sense to it. So, yeah. I don't know. All right, all right, guys. See you on the other side. Try not to die. <laughs> Bet.
Wallace is a mayor and a land surveyor with plans of his own. He hates Aruska, he hates a vodka bandit from his home. He hates Aruska, Aruska, vodka, vodka. He never drank a single drop. He hates Aruska, Aruska, vodka, vodka. This poison he swears to stop. He's singing la da 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 da. Who's got it better than us? No. Online stores built by your brother.